Hey, Jason Rice here with Lot Party Show. Every Monday, new episodes. We're doing a little bit different this week, but let me tell you again what a Lot Party is about. If you ever worked at a dealership, you know what a Lot Party is. You get all the salesmen, the porters, you hit the lot, and you start moving things around, trying to freshen things up. Well, that's what we do on this show is trying to help you take your virtual world, your, your leads, your inventory, and your sales process online and stuff. What can you do to mix things up to get more business? So with this, like I said, we're going to do a little bit thing, uh, a little different this week. We had Tommy Gibbs, used car trainer, TommyGibbsTraining.com. He's a phenomenal, been in the industry for a long time, was a dealer, and he's out there on the road. He's training and working with dealerships on used car operations. So we're actually going to clunk this up into, chunk this up into two shows. Uh, we're going to have this ap- episode now, and then tune in next week for the following episode as we follow up. And then we're going to end each episode with a little you know, quick tip that I tend to send out. So check out this episode. Check us out every Monday, Autotainment Network. Check out our, us on iTunes. Just look for Lot Party on iTunes. If you don't have an iPhone, uh, go to uh, download the app, the SoundCloud app. All of our episodes and our quick tips are there. Or check out our Lot Pop channel on YouTube with all of our shows and tips also. So again, enjoy this episode with Tommy Gibbs and stay tuned next week for the follow-up episode. Thanks. Hey, Jason Rice here. I'm excited about today's show. Again, what we're all about in this Lot Party show is to figure out ways to help dealerships drive more traffic based off their inventory online, stir things up, both new and used. And I'm excited today because we got Tommy Gibbs here from Tommy Gibbs Training. He's an expert, industry, uh, known industry-wide, works very close with a lot of dealerships, hands-on, what it takes to actually turn a store around. And it's not just you know, review calls like what I do at my company, but it's actually, you know, getting his hands dirty. He's going into the store. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Tommy. Tommy, I'd like for you to maybe go back to the beginning of how you started out in the car business and, you know, where, how you progressed and, and where you're at right now. And again, kind of what you do at Tommy Gibbs Training right now uh, for dealerships. I think I, I fell into the car business like a lot of people. Um, it was kind of an accident. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd been teaching and coaching a military prep school for couple of years as a hit football coach and had been doing that and wasn't really sure not so well I'll sell cars other comes along and like a lot of people you get in there and start making money and that was back in um, the early 70s yeah. and um, became a used car manager after a year and then became a general manager and one thing led to another and in 74 I left the industry for a while not really the, the automobile industry itself but the retail dealerships and I took over an F&I training company did that for a few years and bought my first dealership with my partner in 1980. That was Ashton Lewis. And from 1980 until really uh, 2002, when I sort of cashed out of most of the stores, um, I was running automobile dealerships. And then in 2002, when we cashed out some of them, then I started um, used car training because I think it was a real void there. And I had been a big proponent of training all those years anyway, and I thought that it was something I could help the dealers with. And it's been a great run up to this point. Oh, cool. Now, also, you done and maybe still do. Do you do refereeing? Isn't it NCAA you do refereeing? Uh, refere- well? Yeah, when I was um, when I owned my automobile dealerships from 1980 to 1997, I refereed NCAA college basketball, uh, mostly Atlantic Coast Conference, some of those conferences on the East Coast. And um, it was a, a lot of fun, and uh, it's interesting to get booed by 15,000 people <laughs> at one time. Kind of gives you tough skin, kind of goes with the car business. Sure. But, uh, yeah, that was a great experience. And, um it's kind of formulated my thoughts on a lot of things, and I was exposed to a lot of great coaches at that time who I've studied over the years, and so much of what tech goes goes on in the coaching world also applies in the retail automobile business, because if you're running a dealership, if you're the dealer or managers, you're really playing a coaching role every minute you're there. Sure. Now, is there, on a personal note, any 
uh, personal relationships grow with maybe even some high-profile coaches or even players, you know, over the time, just communicating with them all. Did you connect with any of those in the long term? When I left that, when I, when I walked out of refereeing and gave it up and decided to retire from that, I removed myself from that entirely. So I don't yeah. stay connected to any of them. I don't even watch much basketball anymore to be candid with you. Maybe the yeah. playoffs or the, the um, Final Four or something like that. But I've just kind of removed myself from it. But I'm I'm keenly uh, aware of who does what. And I've read a lot of the great coaches' books, and a lot of these coaches out there, Shashevsky and people like that, you know, they have a lot of great leadership things that they do that we can all mm-hmm. learn from. Yeah. Now, I got to see Nick Saban at the CBT News Conference, and, yeah, I mean, what he brought to the table, I mean, applies to dealerships. It was it was pretty powerful on that teamwork stuff. But, all right, so Tommy Gibbs training. You got you essentially go into dealerships, help them turn around uh, the used car operations. Now, I have my little program of what I, where I think I need to attack or where I think dealerships, you know, miss the boat at. And, you know, I find things over the years that I know if I zone in here, I can make a difference. Where's kind of the first thing that you attack when you go work with dealerships to help them turn around the used car operations? I think the first thing to keep in mind is most of the dealers that hire me that I'm working with in that, in that way, they're, they're not what I would call really totally messed up. They're used yeah. car departments and not, not in dire straits. Um, most of the people that hire me are the type of dealers that are already doing well and they're trying to do a little bit better. Okay. But more often than not, my focus ends up being on how they're managing their inventory. Um, by and large, um, the profits made on a car, you've heard people say when they trade it a buy, there's some truth to that, but it, it's, it's really made by speeding up the process to get it sold faster, yeah. find a retail customer faster. And, mm-hmm. uh, dealers today complain a great deal um, about average gross profit and the impact that uh, the internet's having on it. And I would say that, yes, that does play some role in it because everybody's using a V-Auto-type pricing tool. But I think that more often than not, the biggest problem is they sell too many cars late in the cycle life of the car. Mm-hmm. And the more cars you're selling at 45 and 60, and in some cases, some dealers, it's beyond 60, which is beyond my comprehension, actually. But yeah. um, that's where the biggest problem occurs. So I'm just really trying to get them uh, to focus on some of the very basic things they need to do each and every day that's going to make them that much better. The stuff I give them is not rocket science. It's not that brief and I couldn't do it. Um, But it's just having solid fundamental processes they believe in and do them every day. Yeah. You know, and I think that's kind of the area that I work on is, you know, look at what percentage are being sold, you know, zero to 30, what's going out 60 plus. And I know Dale from Viato, Dale Powell, talks a lot about how much inventory is sitting in those buckets, but I really zone in on what's selling. And like you said, I think a lot of them are pushing out too far. I've got one dealer I talked today, you know, who's struggling with gross, but he still has 16% going out 60 plus, losing 1,200 a copy. I don't think it's cheap selling fresh cars. It's, it's dealing with that. But I had a, a dealer to another dealer today again these both domestic stores i want to throw this at you you know and i'm i i feel pushback as i'm trying to get them to you know start grinding and you know they they look at their costs so much and you know it's a 28 day old car he's priced at 101 percent on a on a sonic of all things but he's already losing four or five hundred but you know priced at 101 percent. he didn't want to go any lower because he's always losing money and he just figures well that's a car to put somebody on and i agree if you got enough floor traffic you can maybe do that but you know when you run into obstacles like that you know to help a somebody a manager or a a dealer to get over it's not what you owe you know it's the market and you got to keep adjusting what how do you approach a, a car like that or a situation like that with stores well i think that the, the thing that dealers need to realize is um, 
just because they're priced number one in the market on a car, and this happens frequently as the car age, is aging out. Mm -hmm. When I say aging out, I mean we get to be around 45 and 50 days. It's starting to age out. Um, they'll have a car priced number one in the market, but they still haven't sold it. And my mm -hmm. rebuttal to that sort of a statement, they'll say, but we're number one in the market. We haven't sold it yet. Yep. My comment is, well, you're still not cheap enough if you haven't sold sure. it yet. It's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the fact that you're the cheapest in the market, I guess that's kind of important, but it's not as important as realizing well, you're not getting any traffic on it. You still haven't sold it, so you must not have a price right, regardless yep. of where you stand in the market. But again, most of the time, the problem is they're not repricing cars fast enough at a price point that someone wants to pay for the car. And they wait and wait and wait, and by the time they finally find a customer, it's too late. Now they're not making any money, and it's yeah. a disaster. The, the grosses they're making on cars past 30, 35 days or so is killing the average gross profit. There, there's your problem on averages. Mm -hmm. So if uh, I, I've seen dealers, and again, being a performance manager for Viata so long, I know there's some out there and some dealers that change the price every two or three days. I see dealers that will change price every seven to ten days. I'm of the mindset about every two weeks. I'm real big on flat pricing, putting that 20 grand and giving it two weeks to absorb the market, get a lot of eyeballs at 20 grand, and then make an adjustment. Uh, is there a certain strategy that you like uh, when you refer dealers to pricing? Yeah, I think there's some merit to that approach. I think that, though, that you have to realize that certain cars require um, greater activity and more sense of urgency than other cars. I mean, mm -hmm. if, I, if I just traded in a $42,000 truck and I put extra money in it to make a new car deal, to make a new car go away, that truck is very troublesome to me. I'm very, it's very, going to be a problematic vehicle. So I might be changing the price on that car, with, on that truck, with greater frequency than I might some other. Sure. So yeah. I don't like the say you lock yourself into two weeks, I understand that thinking, but I just mm -hmm. think that somebody has got to be monitoring that activity. And I do believe uh, that in most cases, the worst person to price used cars, the worst person to make those price changes is the used car manager. Mm -hmm. I think that, that if, if you could figure another way to do it, you're better off. And I say that because they've got a lot on their plate, and, and either they bought the car or they appraised the car, either way they bought the car, but if they bought the car or they appraised the car, and they have a vested interest in it mentally, and they're not always really pricing at the market. They're concerned about gross. They're getting beat up about gross. I get all that, but I think you'd be better off to have someone that's really just analyzing the market day by day, minute by minute, and making those changes. Now, maybe you don't let that person, the geek I'm talking about, yeah. actually make the changes. Maybe they make the recommendation, but somebody needs to be taking a look at it to figure out, are we getting activity at this price? Can we afford to wait two weeks before we make another change? Yeah. That's kind of my take on it. Yeah, and that's I agree. I mean, there's certain cars you do have to attack every week, but you know, also I, you know, this to change a price, a hundred, two hundred bucks every two or three days or every five to seven days, to me, just it doesn't make an impact on the market. It's just busy work just to try um, to clean your inventory up. You know, I, I, everything's caught up. But the the other common theme that I've seen when dealerships are pushing out a lot of aged cars, um, it was. They lost focus of it. You know, I go in, I'm using Viato as a reference. I'll go in there and sort it by last price change when I see a lot pushing out. And they'll have, and it, it'll sort it by the last date of changing the price of a car. And they'll have cars there that are 30, 40 days old that they haven't touched in 30 or 40 days, 20 see, days plus. You see that a lot. Yeah. I, I, don't look as much that, I don't look as much of that doubt as you might, but I do see that with a great frequency and then they wonder why they're not getting activity on the car. Yeah. I think sometimes too if you're if you're into a discipline of changing prices, sometimes it's fun actually to raise a price on a car. Mm -hmm. yeah. It it kind of wakes some people up who kind of who've been monitoring that car. You'll get a call on and say, Why'd you raise the, the price of that car? So yeah. you can have some fun with that 
mixing concept from time to time. I'm pumping it up, actually. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on two things. One, you talked about that age car. I do see a lot of dealers that um, I'll pull up a car that's 60, 70 days old and say, hey, what are we doing on this one? Oh, we just wholesaled it. And I said, well, what'd you wholesale it for? And they'll say, I don't know, 18 grand. And I'll look at it and go, well, the last price is 20 grand. Why would you go wholesale it for 18? And, and like you said, they'll say, well, I'm number one. I've been number one at 88% for two weeks. What else do you want me to do? And I'm like, well, get more than wholesaling it, you know. And I, I, I referenced and I said, you know, you just throw away the market sometimes at that point in time. No different than appraising an 05 with 50,000 miles on it, one owner, clean car. you got to throw away the books. The books can't define what this car's worth. And at some point in time, you got to throw away the market and go, okay, i just got to get more now than I can wholesale on the car. Um, it, 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 obviously, that's your mindset too, but what, what, is there any particular way, again, to help dealers to kind of get well, off of that wholesale pretty, mentality? I'm not a fan of wholesaling, car, wholesaling cars at the end of the cycle. I'm a fan of finding a retail buyer exactly. before we get to that, that point. And I'm a big fan of CarMax. And uh, I read the annual report every year, and one of the interesting things I saw in there a couple of years ago is that they retail 99% of the cars that they put on their lot to be retail. They find retail buyers. And we, most people would agree CarMax is not the cheapest game in town, but they eventually at some point they bring that car down low enough to where they can find a retail buyer. And yes, I'm of a belief they do rotate cars from time to time from one store to another, but they do find a retail buyer. And why a dealer would send the car to the auction and lose money on it there versus losing money? I'd rather lose money to a retail customer. At least you captured someone that now becomes sure. a member of your family, and we all understand the pluses in doing that. And you will. I've actually heard people say, well, I don't want to... I don't want to retail that car to that customer at a loss because I could have sold that customer a car at a profit. And that's not true. Yeah. The reason you sold that car to that customer was because you had a price so cheap that came in above the car. So you're just, yeah. to me, that you're just capturing extra business. And I, I'm just not a fan of having to take cars to the auction. Once in a while you do. I'm not talking about the clunkers that you yeah. dump on the first day. I'm talking about, I'm talking about cars that you put on your lot to retail. You should be able to find a retail buyer on those cars if you price them right enough soon enough. Well, I think that opens up the can of worms of, and I've got your book here, the Little Used Car Book, and it's Volume Seven. I think it's the Raging Bull mentality, and I know you have. If this is Volume Seven, you got six others, and I know we talked before. We'll we'll wrap it up. The fact if anybody wants one of these copies, to reach out to them. But I think what we're talking about this wholesale. Sometimes it, it's opening up a can of worms, which you mentioned in this book, is pay plan. You know, sometimes a wholesale loss is acceptable or maybe not part of the pay plan because they're paid on retail, front end gross, or maybe they're paid on the whole package. But how much of that do you think rolls into that too? And, and when you talked about pay plans in there, what do you think needs to be changed on? on yeah. That? I think as we move forward, more and more dealers need to move away from plan on gross profit, period. Yeah. Uh, certainly need to move away from plan on gross profit for the salespeople. That should be an immediate thing that we do. Salespeople have very little control over gross profit anymore because of where you price cars on the Internet. And I think we need to move away from paying managers on gross profit. I don't have the exact formula for that yet. I'm working on it. But I think that more and more dealers need to be given that consideration because, again, the pricing on the Internet of new and used cars um, – is destroying our ability to really to do gross. We're becoming, whether we want to or not, we're becoming a one-price dealer. Mm -hmm. We're starting to say to the customers, no, we got the price right. That's why you showed up, and we're not changing. We're not negotiating the price. I teach our, our dealers to track something called gap, which is the difference between the internet price and the transaction price, sure. which you want to you know, 
reduce that number and you'll be your grosses will get that much better. So I think um, in terms of grosses, again, it all gets back to pay plans and it gets back to how we price the cars. Now, I'm sure some people that might have listened to this kind of took their breath back when you say stop paying on gross with management and sales team. But I have seen it beneficial, and I'm sure you've seen it, and you probably helped dealers structure this, is, again, maybe paying salespeople based on, you know, if they if they can get 100% of the asking price, it's it's this much money. If you, you know, the, the more you drop or the, the, the more you get off of the Internet price, the less and less you make, either by a percentage or dollar right. amount. Is that kind of the, the success you've seen, or have you yeah. helped structure stuff like that? I think that you know I've got that type of pay plan I've introduced dealers to a few years ago, and I really do like it. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably easier for dealers to deal with just if you move yourself to a one party store and you're not negotiating and you and move to the more of a CarMax model, then you don't have to worry about that discount and have to penalize them for giving a discount. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So I think yeah. that as we move forward, it just makes more sense to pay them predicated on some volume, and part of that volume should include every time that that salesman works with a customer who we buy their car from the customer, that should count as a unit towards their volume number. And that's what you'll find at CarMax. If they buy a car, if they sell a customer car, they buy a car, they're going to get paid the same thing. And that's why you get the full routine when you go to CarMax. I didn't mean to get more CarMax kit, but they do an awful lot of things well that dealers should be paying attention to.